So, Stewie, let's get stuck into the basketball and we'll start with the NBL. We now have grand finalists and the first series, Melbourne United needed three games against South East Melbourne. But there's themes running through, aren't there? There's really themes right across the NBL and the NBA, and it's all about missed opportunities this week. Every single series that we're going to talk about, probably with the exception of maybe the Denver and Phoenix one, the teams will look back on particular situations and think we blew a massive opportunity to win this series. And there's, let's face it, there's been some chokes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the first series we're going to talk about involves a really massive choke. Yeah, and in the NBA too. Like, the Bucks choked, and then the very next day, the 76ers said, hey, hold my beer. But we'll start with <laughs> Melbourne and South East Melbourne. So the first game, it just kind of felt like one of those boa constrictor games, didn't it? Melbourne United just kind of suffocated them slowly, slowly, five points, 10 points, 15 points. Whenever South East Melbourne showed signs of life, they just squeezed down a little bit more and pretty... Straightforward result, really, wasn't it? It was one of those games where you just look at it as a whole and you just think, yeah, that's about right. Didn't really strike you. Nothing really unusual jumped out at you. You just thought, yeah, Melbourne United are probably that much of a better team. Yeah, and it's exactly what I expected after South East Melbourne blew golden opportunity, sticking on theme by not beating Brisbane to get that third seed where they could have come to Perth and, and played a very undermanned Wildcats. But Landau was absolutely magnificent. 26 points on 10 of 14 shooting. Hobson was also very good. One of the best games he's probably played all season, actually. Well, I mean, his series, it just, yeah, it's it's blown me away. I mean, he his whole season really has just been on this crazy upward trajectory. He started off really slowly, looked like he didn't really so much fit in with Melbourne United at Maybe first. getting used to coming off the bench. Yeah, but then all of a sudden, he, yeah, he has. He's Peaking just, at the right he's time. He's exploded in the back half of the season. And sure enough, in commentary, Corey Homicide-Williams said that this is New Zealand, Scotty Hobson. Yeah. And he did kind of show that. Absolutely. Now, game two. Game two was a surprise. Southeast Melbourne had a very impressive win, it's got to be said. But... Landale, there's a theme here. So having great games in games one and three, he only had five points in 13 minutes in game two. And he had a lovely little alley-oop play with Peatling, but straight after that, he fouled out basically. And, and that was it. Well, if you look at the minutes following that, I believe it was an 18 to three or maybe even an 18 to run by the Phoenix straight after the, the foul out by Landale. So even though he wasn't playing particularly well, you look at what he brings on the defensive end where he's obviously a really tall, long sort of body that, that gets in the way. In game three, I saw a ton of different times when Phoenix players would drive to the basket and Landale's just standing there with his hands up and they didn't know what to do. Man, so, yeah. so, yeah, him being off the court, even though he's had a pretty average game offensively, it really detracts from them defensively. Well, it really was the turning point, wasn't it? Because as you say, the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix went on that massive run. Creek showed a little bit more. I, I wondered if he shot enough in game one and if he was assertive enough in game one, but him, Sykes, and Wetzel, the third man up. Wetzel was absolutely fantastic most of the series, it's got to be said. And I, I guess one of the other real keys with that run was that the Phoenix were able to work sort of a really good inside-outside game. So after the foul out, there's no resistance at the rim. They're taken inside. They get some layups. All of a sudden, it opens up the shooters, and they're hitting three-pointers. So it's you know whether it's Kiefer Sykes or whether it was Isaiah Liafa, they're starting to hit these big shots. So that's that's kind of the big key. And and Creek stepped up too in game two and was much more assertive. And and I one of my notes for game one was it was Creek shooting enough in game one. So they, they really stepped up to the plate. But the third man up was Yanni Wetzel, who was pretty good the whole series, it's got to be said. Really impressive. The funny thing with the Jock Landau thing, so the courtside reporter Joe Healy reported that during a stoppage, Vickerman said to Landau, okay, you're going in. And he said, are you sure? I've got four fouls. 
was. <laughs> and I can't remember if it was straight after then that he did get that fifth, but it was a gamble. And that's a bit of a theme as well. And we'll get to that shortly in the Wildcat series. But hey, hats off to Southeast Melbourne. I gave him no chance. And it was a very impressive victory, albeit with the help of Landau being off the court. And I mean, that was part of how many fouls were there in that game? 56? Yeah, I think it was 56. And you almost wonder if it was an overcorrection after the Wildcats Illawarra game the night before where Illawarra hardly got any fouls at all and hardly went to the line at all. It was hard to watch, wasn't it? Well, because I think they said on during that game, 34 was the league average across the season. So we're talking 22 above the league average. It was at times a little bit tough to watch, I must say. And it's really funny you say that because my f- very first note for that game was, well, the bits between the free throws was entertaining. <laughs> Such that they were. And on that, Stewie, seven players had three fouls or more before it had even got to the halfway point of the third quarter. So we're in the bonus with six and a half minutes left. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's tough to watch. But I suppose most of them were probably there. That's the thing. Like You're right, it was an overcorrection. But by the letter of the law, I guess they were being consistent both ways. You, as shit as it is, you've kind of got to let it play. Yeah, well, I, I didn't think it was too one, one way. That's, that's fair. Mm. And then, as you say, that run really, it sealed the game. Melbourne United didn't even have a field goal in the last six minutes. Yeah, that's, hor- that's horrific. Speaking of horrific, Cam Glidden did not score a point in the entire series. Wow. Ryan Brokoff had, what, about 12, an 8, a 4, and a 0, I think yeah, you said? Yep, yeah, 8, 4, and nothing. So, I mean, he he was trending backwards as well. He wasn't even taking shots in Game 3. This is that former NBA player that everyone thought, hey, this could get them into a grand final, a signing like this. Yep. How disappointing. Yeah, on, on both accounts. I mean, you know, Cam Glidden, again, this was supposed to be the, the perfect team for him. It's a team that would give him a green light to take shots and, and make shots. And sort of getting back to that almost all NBL player that he was a few years back. And he just continually looks like a guy who's passed it. So it wasn't a great 350th for Goulding. He did have a lovely and one where he was twisting and turning all over the place on the lap. Was Goulding a bit passive in the whole series? Uh, or is it just being on the deep team? I think it's, it could be a little bit of both. I mean, he's, yeah, he certainly tried to pick his spots as far as I could tell, but that's the thing. I, I guess maybe the Phoenix game plan was to limit the amount of looks that Goulding gets. And I mean, you know, he is a guy that can consistently take and make difficult shots, but, you know, perhaps in this one, saw a couple of them miss and thought, right, let's get the ball down to Landale and let him do his job. And I mean, we saw in game three just how dominant Landale can be, especially given the situation and given how that game went and, obviously, the, the efficiency that he shot the ball with. And absolutely, we'll get there in two moments, but the end was the absolute best. So Creek kind of fulcrums Peatling in like a WWE-like move, and then the mics very clearly pick up afterwards, see you in game three, motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> so this will forever be known as the see you in game three, motherfuckers game. And hey, Southeast Melbourne started game three gangbusters. Terrific. It looked like the upset was on that Corey Williams picked. And, and it really should have been. I mean, we talked about the missed opportunities. This is a huge missed opportunity by the Phoenix. They had this game almost won in the the first half. And they let them hang around, hang around. Landau, absolutely magnificent once again, probably telling everyone, hey, I should have been shortlisted for that MVP. 27 points on 11 of 13 shooting. Three key threes in that first half, as you say, to keep Melbourne in striking distance. And that was the exact moment I was referring to. Yeah. It got to, yeah, I can't remember. I think it was like 30 to 12 or 30 to 14 or something like that. And they just leave Landale, who is, you know, a very, very proficient shooter from out there, especially straight away. 
they let him get those really good looks and yeah, just kept them within striking distance. Whereas if you make someone else beat you, potentially you give yourself a chance to open that lead up to 2025 and it's demoralizing and the mm. game is basically over. So, so I think they were up by 17 at one point and then they ended up losing that game. Yeah. And I, and I don't normally watch the press conferences, but Simon Mitchell and, and Mitch Creek were absolutely dejected as you would be coming so close to a grand final. These things are not easy to get to. Mm. So I guess the question is, Stewie, and it's a question we're going to ask a few times. Did South East Melbourne choke? Absolutely, they did. There's there's no two ways about it. You've got a team that far down that early in the game. 10-minute quarters. And you do not put the foot on the throat and yep. finish them off. Yep. Yeah, by definition, that is a choke to me. I, I don't think there's any doubt. You could just tell Melbourne were going to run over the top of them and win, couldn't you? It was just in the tea leaves. Yeah. Well, as, a, as I say, when Landale hit those three big threes, that was the moment where you just thought, the Phoenix are going to blow this. They just they haven't put enough room between themselves and they've given Melbourne a chance. And You, you know, can't give the best team in the competition a sniff. Can't give them hope. Exactly, yeah. yeah. You just can't do it. Yeah. And, and I must admit, I was thinking, oh, maybe it's not a choke. You know, it is the 1v4. Melbourne did win a lot more games. But the way they failed to protect the ball at the end and were just throwing away passes when the game was still there to be won. Yeah. Yes, they were down, but they could have. They could have still won that game. Well, yeah, Ruben and they absolutely choked. Ruben Tarangi was hitting big threes left, right and center. Well, he finally turned up. He was yeah. very quiet in those first two games. So, yeah, you're right. Those turnovers, there were two in a row where they threw horrible cross-court passes that led to steals and layups. You just can't do that. Yeah. So, Perth, Illawarra, Perth 1-3, in three, as I predicted. Well you done. weren't as <laughs> power-negative thinking. Well, no, no, definitely not. You, you I, I legitimately just, thought Illawarra were going to win the I series? just legitimately did, and especially after game one. It just well, yeah, let's talk about game yeah. one. So it was one of those classic games. So we've talked about a boa constrictor game. This is one of those classic games where they just let them hang around, hang around. Like, I don't think Perth choked, but they let them hang around, hang around, and they exploded in the third quarter. And third quarters have been a big trend in the NBL playoffs so far, and they'll probably continue to be into the grand final. Justin Simon was absolutely spectacular in the third quarter for Illawarra, and particularly in the second half. Probably the MVP of the series for them in a losing effort. Yeah, I think absolutely right there. I mean, if you look at the two key players, Tyler Harvey, who was in the MVP voting, and Justinian Jessup, they both shot the ball incredibly poorly. We'll get to their numbers in a second. Yeah, Simon's efforts on both ends, I thought his defense was was pretty decent for the, the most part. And look, I mean, he, he doesn't have a decent jump shot. There's no two ways about it. But He's there for defense, energy, dunks, that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, he, he gets in there and pl- puts his little floaters in. He, yep. he knows his game pretty well. Speaking of floaters, where were Harvey's floaters? We were talking about them all season. I can't remember very many at all in this series. There was a handful, but yeah, certainly not. Maybe it's because they weren't dropping. This this is true, yeah. And I, I actually noticed a couple of times he was taking them from a bit further out. There were a couple of them that looked like they were sort of almost beyond the, the free throw line. And, you know, he's he's good from that free throw line just inside, but longer than that, I mean, you, you just don't need to be taking those shots. So. so Illawarra would have been absolutely licking their lips after that game one, winning in Perth for only the second time in a hell of a lot of tries. They said the record was like 8-49 and 49 overall or something yeah, absolutely I ridiculous. Think it was their second in like 36 games. Yeah, and granted the both of those were without Bryce, but Bryce is out the whole series. And, and they would have been thinking, all right, we've got this in the bag. Because with Perth, you were thinking, who the hell is going to score down the stretch? And that's well, the whole game. That's exactly my one key note from game one. It just, the whole time, every time coming down the court, it was like, who is going to be the one to make a shot here? You felt like if it wasn't Mooney or Blanchfield, it wasn't going to happen. Yep. And, and I think, you know, the Hawks defense kind of pushed in a little bit on that. Mooney didn't shoot the ball well in game one. I think it was five of 17. So... 
Yeah. And he's not going to create his own shot either. So someone has to create for him. Exactly. So, yeah, I I think you're very right. That was very much a theme. And that was why after game one, I said to you, I I said, we're going to get swept here. And we recorded on the Saturday for an upcoming special that we'll upload in the future. But we finished just in time for game two. And I was like, nah, we got this, mate. I'm still confident. We're still going to win this series. And it was very close. So the 31-28 halftime score was the lowest combined halftime score in the entire NBL this season. Real arm wrestle. Real scrap. Well, it was the sort of game that the Wildcats had to play to stay in the series. I mean, I said to you before the start of the series and, and while we were recording with, with Alex Loughton, we said, this is going to be a scrappy series. The Wildcats need to play this in the 70s. The Hawks will probably want to play it there as well, but we need to keep this a very, very low game yep. in order to, to sort of stay in it. it. It was ugly. There's no two ways about it. Without Bryce Cotton being able to make his own shot, draw a lot of the defenders away from guys like Blanchfield and Clint Steindl, it makes it a lot tougher for them. But I think, funnily enough, the big turning point in game two, and it, and it seems laughable saying this, but the big turning point in game two was Mitch Norton's injury. Yeah, so Mitch got banged up and it was looking really shaky for the Wildcats then with both starting cards potentially out. He did come back. But what it meant was that Luke Travers then came into the game and kind of ran the show on, as, as the point guard on the offensive end, but on the defensive end as well they shifted him onto Tyler Harvey. And Harvey had hit some shots. I think he ended up, would have been five or six three-pointers that he hit in that second game. But Travers was making it a lot more difficult for him. And and admittedly as well, I think a lot of those points were probably against Kevin White. It just seemed like whenever Travers was on him, it was was difficult for him to get shots up. He was was blowing by him at the top of the key, I found. Like that's that's maybe a weak part in Travers' game. Guys, Justin Simon blew by him at the top as well a few times. And that that is a missed opportunity. I think they should have been involving him in pick and rolls, getting him on to guys like Simon who could just, yeah, as you say, blow by him pretty easily and finish at the cup, which is something that, that Harvey can do, but Simon does better. I like Travers in the back playing the passing lanes a bit. So in the back of the zone or defending a guy in the corner and then he can play those passing lanes. But offensively, he was absolutely magnificent. The third youngest player behind Sam McKinnon and Frank Drimmick to have a playoff double-double. And that layup behind the basket wasn't quite Dr. J circa 1980 NBA Finals, but fantastic. Absolutely very, fantastic. Very, very tough angle on that one. And at a very key point in the game as well. So, yeah, look, that was a, a very unexpected win, I will say. What else was unexpected was Travis playing point guard a lot. Yep. Now, he's not protecting the ball enough. He is throwing, I guess you got to live and die with that youthful exuberance. He was throwing a few kind of cross-court passes that got picked off and some of the decision-making was a little bit off. But, geez, the the good was better than the bad in that game, that's for sure. And and we also got to see a nice little cameo from Clint Steindl. He had some really, really key buckets off the bench, which we haven't really seen a heap of this season. So I dare say he... Yeah, Steindl played well. He was probably one of the the big reasons that we won as well. So, yeah, it's... uh, I say it was an absolutely fascinating game to watch and, and yeah, just really unexpected. Froling picked the worst possible time to have a shocker with AJ Ogilvy in really bad foul trouble. What about the free throw disparity? Should the Hawks feel aggrieved, especially at home? Or is it because they weren't taking it to the rack enough? I mean, this is the thing. When you're such a a huge three-point team, you're not going to get many foul shots. There's not many guys that are going to hit you on those jump shots. I mean, probably more guys in the NBL than the NBA, you would suggest. Although the NBA, I guess a lot of guys are getting to the line from kicking out the leg and jumping into players. Well, Bryce does that too. But yeah, So does Blanchfield, actually. This is true. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I mean, you could probably look at it that way, but I mean, you've got to take the ball to the basket. If you take it in and force the umpires to make calls, that's when you're going to get to the line. You're not going to get it if you're taking as many threes as Jessup and Harvey took. And 
you know, that's the result. You you have to live and die by the three. So we'll finish this one with a crazy stat. It was the fifth playoff game in a row involving the Wildcats where the road team won. Yeah, right. Thanks to NBL Facts, often quoting their Twitter feed. Game three, that changed. Wildcats got a good win and you were there, mate. So I'll throw to you first of all. Yeah, this was a, another really, really interesting one. It, it looks potentially like the Wildcats might have actually blown a huge opportunity in this one. I mean, started off... Fairly slow. I think the the Hawks ended up at, at, a, at about a 9-4 lead early in the game. But, I mean, the Wildcats just clamped down. The Hawks couldn't make a shot. Now, here's another key moment, Stewie. Gorgian kept Harvey on the court with three fouls. And sure enough, with just like 30 seconds left, he got his fourth. When you're only allowed five. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a particularly smart move. It might have been one of those all-in moments where he sort of thought, right, let's, you know, let's see if we can get a couple back. Because the lead had started to balloon a little bit. Uh, it's still a, It's still a... Poor decision for mine. Hmm. Well, as we saw what happened, obviously. And speaking of Harvey, how is this for a damning stat? So him and Jessup, in all three first halves combined, 18 points. Yeah, it's not not good at all. That is, is terrible. That's six a game. Wow. Terrible. And that's combined. Yeah. So Harvey for the series, 17 of 55 at 31%. And Jessup wasn't much better. Well, 11 of 35. I think he was about 31%. Well, there you well. go. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. So you've mentioned halftime. Something funny actually did happen at halftime in game three. So I decided, yeah, it's getting towards that, that sort of time when the third quarter was going to start. Quickly ran off, went to the bathroom, came back, and ended up in a slightly different seat to the seat that I was in in the first half. This happens. You know me, though. I'm pretty big on superstitions. <laughs> and sure enough, sitting there and three or four minutes into the third quarter, the lead had gone from 16 down to two. Oh, yeah. Perth gave away that lead in a blink of an eye, it felt like. And I said to the guys that had swapped with me, I said, no. Nah, Move back. We've got to move back. This is something's happened. I've upset the universe here. <laughs> and sure enough, we move back. And over the next minute and a half, we go on a 7-0 run. So Wildcats fans will be very concerned with where Stewie sits for the grand final Absolutely. series. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I will move if I have to. So, yeah, it was. it's kind of interesting, those little things that happened during the game. And Yeah. I mean, it, it was... It was a pretty nervous second half and there were little bits and pieces throughout the, the second half where you sort of felt like the Hawks were just hanging in there. You know, key three-pointers. Jessup finally hit a three towards the end of the game. Oh, it was a classic game three. It was great. There was, you know, balls getting knocked up, like Mitch Norton bringing the ball up and Simon knocking it off his leg. There was that huge hustle play. I think that was Jessup as well, where he's knocked the ball towards the baseline, dived and knocked it back into Simon for a layup. So all of these signs and you thought, hmm, it just feels like the Hawks are going to run over the top. And then Nordo, doing his Willis Reed impersonation, dived on the court to get that loose ball. What an amazing effort. He, he was MVP of the game and the difference, wasn't he? And we didn't even think he would play. Yeah, well, it, it didn't look like he would. He was going to be much of a factor. But yeah, he did play incredibly well. Had a very, very key three-point play sort of down the stretch. But unfortunately for him, he's not the, the guy that made the key play. Oh, the, Fantastic. The absolute key moment in this game. Just when everyone thought he was having a shocker. Luke Travis. Yep. He uh, didn't have as, as good a game three as a game two, but yeah, this one was huge. Yeah, about a minute to go. It's a four-point game. Justin Simon takes it to the basket. Travis gets a little piece of the layup, and a lot of guys are thinking, right, he's got the ball, hold it up, run some clock. Yep. And he puts the ball down. And he just puts his head down. And he puts it down Explodes. again. And after that second dribble, I'm sitting directly behind the the basket that he's heading away from. And I start yelling out, dunk it, dunk it, dunk it. And he just oh, man. threw one oh, down. Oh, it was huge. And the place exploded. You can't even really hear it on the the actual footage, video, the video footage. Yeah. The 
Place was just going off. And then about 30 seconds later, Jesse Wagstaff draws a charge. I managed to see Damien Martin standing about 10 feet away from me and I yell out to him, Damo, you taught him that. <laughs> and he looks up and smiles and thumbs up. He says, oh, I think that, that might have been his... That might have been his own sort of way of taking a charge. Oh, Damo's, Damo wearing the Travis wig was pretty funny pre-game yes, as well. Yes, yes. But no, look a, a, look, a great series. And You, know, you and I had very different experiences. I actually missed the game live. Yet another closeout game three semifinal where I've missed live. I managed to avoid the result. Came and watched it when I got home. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most people would look at the scores and go, oh, that's probably a pretty ugly series. But Well, funny you say that. First time ever in NBL history that all three games, neither team scored 80. There you go. Wildcats scored 79 twice, but yeah. But it's it's one of those really good old school arm wrestle sort of games. And as a purist, I don't mind the bad shooting percentages if I get to see games like that. Oh, yeah. Finals. Final stuff. So I guess that leads us to the grand final. Melbourne United and Perth. Yep. After 168 games, regular season and semis included, the Wildcats are into their ninth grand final in 12. It is absolutely staggering. Tremendous effort. I'll pick United in four. Yeah, I want to agree with you. I, I mean, for me, I, I just feel like Melbourne United are too deep. And especially when you look at the bench, Scotty Hobson has absolutely hit peak Hobson form right now. Luala Chul is an absolute handful down low, one of the tallest blokes in, in the NBL, but he's got that agility. Yudai Barber seems to like playing us. He does, but no Bryce Cotton, and he's the one that he always kills. True. But- and Blanchfield has not played well against Melbourne either. And Blanchfield has been the star Perth has needed to get over the top. It pains me to say this, but I'm going to pick United in three. So even though the first two games are in Perth, and thankfully I secured a ticket to game two, unfortunately you can't go for family reasons, but you'll be at home watching with the girls, indoctrinating them. Probably screaming and yeah. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. sitting in the right chair. Yelling you know, yelling profanities at the wall and stuff. But so no. you're not prepared to give the Wildcats one at all, even though Melbourne couldn't sweep the Phoenix? No. No? I can't do it. As, okay. much, as, as much as I want to, I, I just I can't see... A reality where over 40 minutes, Chris Goulding doesn't hit two or three massive threes. Jock Landale doesn't dominate inside like he did the last time they came to Perth. I yeah, I, I think there's going to be close games, but I just can't see I can't see Perth getting over the top. I Perth need Magnate to produce to have any chance, and they need they they pretty much need everything to go right. Yeah. Where would this rate if it was a Perth win and a three peak? This would be the sweetest of all by yeah. by far. Yeah. It's not even close. Yep. So I haven't done my research, but I was kind of shortlisting it in my mind. So I was thinking, okay, the first one is always sweet. That one when we beat, I'm talking as a fan now. Yeah, we've got it. <laughs> that one where we beat New Zealand after they'd beaten us a couple of times was pretty big. Yep. That one in 95 where we dropped game one at home and then went into North Melbourne and beat them on the road. In the glass the, house, yeah. Yeah, the famous Chris Gent punching Andrew Vlahoff in the knee game. <laughs> And then Perth came home and absolutely destroyed them in game three. They're kind of the ones that come to mind, but I agree. If the Wildcats won this one, it would be the sweetest of all, without, without question. Without the most valuable. And we'll, we'll talk about the award winners next week. We don't have the time. Absolutely, yeah. We do not have time. But yeah. yeah, to win it without the MVP of the league, that would just be so much sweeter than everything. It, it would be a choke on Melbourne's part, I think. Yep. Yeah. Quite possibly. 